All right. Well, you can kind of guess what we're talking about this morning. Walking on water. We're back in the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 6. It's going to lead us into the new year. A few weeks ago, we left off with Jesus, Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's a miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. And uh, it's that miraculous event that leads directly into what we're going to be talking about this morning with Jesus walking on water. It's what Jesus is referencing when he says, you learned nothing from what you saw earlier. Um, and even though they took a few liberties with how it plays out, uh, it's sort of a cathartic moment between there and in the series there, a moment between Peter and Jesus. But, but what he said was like, you know, what he was saying was true, which is, reflected in the Gospels was is that they didn't quite understand even after watching Jesus feed the 5,000 what, who he was and what he could perform. That when he came walking to them on water, it was beyond their comprehension, right? When we ended a few weeks ago, we ended with verse 14, which said this, it said, when the people saw the sign that he had done, and that was obviously referencing Jesus, and the sign that he had done, of course, was feeding the 5,000, right? When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. In other words, the crowds were very excited. The crowds were, you know, pumped up because of what they had just experienced uh, and what they had just seen with Jesus. And now they want to crown Jesus as king, as we will read this morning when we step into verse 15. But they don't want to crown him as the king of kings. They want to crown him as an earthly political king. It's a political move, right? They want to do it by force if needed, as we will read, right? And the crowd supported Jesus because they wanted to use him, right, for their own desires, they wanted to use him to throw off Roman oppression and set up an earthly kingdom. If, but if you remember, way back in John chapter 2, however long ago we were there, Jesus' attitude towards popular opinion, Jesus' attitude towards popular acceptance, Jesus' attitude about being man of the year, right? He, he had a different attitude towards that, about being accepted by man in that way. And his attitude was he did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Which means he did, wasn't looking for their acceptance in that way. He wasn't about being a man of the year. He wasn't having any of it. He wasn't impressed by the fame side of things. He wasn't impressed by the large numbers. He knew that they were going to flatter him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. And the sad truth of that is, as we step into what we're going to read this morning, as uh, an early you know, church father said, said, he who was already king has come to open his kingdom to men, but in their blindness, men try to force him to be the king, the kind of king that they want. Thus, they fail to get the king that they want. And then at the same time, they also lose the kingdom that he offers. So what Jesus did at that moment is, is that, and you see this when you read this story in Matthew and Mark, it's Matthew 14, Mark chapter 6, um, he rescues his disciples from a coming problem, a coming storm, you could say, which is the crowds who were coming to take Jesus by force and, and try to plant him you know, as king. 
So he immediately, when he understood the intentions of the crowds and he saw the coming of the crowds, what did he do? He immediately put his disciples in a boat and he sent them across the Sea of Galilee. So he rescued them from one storm but sent them into another storm, you could say. Uh, but yet, it was for their benefit and it was for their purpose, which is what we're going to read about this morning. Right? And this is a message for us. It's a message for us as we step into the new year. It's a word of encouragement. It's even a warning, you could say. There's a warning that comes along with it about helping us navigate and prepare us as we enter into the coming new year. This is your new year's message in the Gospel of John. So, John chapter 6, verses 15 through 21. It says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him, Jesus, by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing, and when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid." And then they were glad to take him into the boat. I bet they were. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you are spirit to speak this to us this morning. You, you just speak this into our hearts. And you speak the truth of this word and this message and how you want us to receive it and how you want to, us to uh, apply it for the coming new year. We thank you, Lord, for your word and for the strength and encouragement and blessing that comes from your word. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, this story, uh, this, what we see here, Jesus walking on water is in Matthew 14 and Mark chapter 6 as well. And we will reference them because though they pretty much tell the exact same story, Matthew, for example, captures one thing, which the other two gospels don't, which is Peter, okay, walking on water. Matthew recorded that, the other two didn't. But everything else gives us a complete picture when we put it together of exactly what was going on and, and you know, what was happening. So the disciples are traveling from one side of the lake to the other. Now, it's a little hard to know exactly, you know, to pinpoint it down to the precise area where they got on the boat, but they were heading supposedly to Capernaum, which is around the north end of the Sea of Galilee, which is also known as Lake Tiberias, if you're trying to you know, figure out what body of water they're crossing, which is about eight miles wide, and it's about 13 miles long. And I don't think they were going directly across the lake. I think they were going more of a sort of a diagonal, because like I said, Capernaum's up near the north. But they were going across the lake, and it was at least eight miles probably from where they were to where they needed to go. But it would be longer to walk around the lake, which obviously they assumed Jesus was probably going to do because he didn't get in the boat with them. Right? So, so they get in the boat. Jesus put them in the boat, as we find in Matthew and Mark, because of the crowds. And he shoves them off, and he sends them out to sea to get across to Capernaum. Right? And Jesus himself went up on the mountainside. You know, he dispersed the crowds. He, he handled that situation. He went up on the mountainside to pray. Uh, and it says here that the sea became rough in verse 18 because a strong wind was blowing. And right when they had rowed about three or four miles, that's when they saw Jesus come walking out on the water. So 
they battled the sea for three or four miles. That's how rough the storm was. Matthew, it tells us in the Gospel of Matthew that they were beaten right, by the waves. So the waves were just beating them up. And then Mark tells us that the wind was against them. Right? And so, they, so basically they were rowing into the wind. And on top of off, it's now dark. On top of all of that, it's now dark. And any good sailor is going to tell you that they would prefer not to go across the sea when it was night out. And it wasn't when they left, but it is now. Matter of fact, it tells us that uh, it was the fourth watch of the night. You, you get This is in Matthew and Mark, the fourth watch of the night. Fourth watch of the night means between it's 3 to 6 a.m. It was probably closer to 3 a.m. The average time to row across the Sea of Galilee with favorable conditions, right? And trust me, there's massive amount of websites on this. People have done the math and gone out there and rowed boats across, I guess, the Sea of Galilee to figure out this sort of thing because someone always has extra time on their hands to figure out exactly how long it's going to take to row across the Sea of Galilee. But the average time it takes to row across the Sea of Galilee, they say, with, it, it, like I said, in favorable conditions, with mean the wind at your back, because they say that can actually double your speed, for going across the lake was six hours. Now they had already spent six hours, probably six to eight hours on the Sea of Galilee as it was, and they probably weren't even halfway across the sea yet. That's how rough the water was. Right? They'd gone three or four miles. That's as far as they had gotten. Right? It's a lot of hard work with very little progress, which is something we all understand you know, for different, for different reasons. We've all put in a lot of hard work in things and gotten very little progress out of stuff. It's painful when it's like that. We're like, man, I can't believe I spent so much time on this and I haven't gotten anywhere at all. This is exactly how they felt in the boat, having rowed already probably for six or eight hours and not even gotten halfway across the lake because the wind was against them, right? The, the, the waves were beating the boat up. Like, you know, they probably wished they had stayed on the shore. They wished that they had turned around at this point. Right, like I said, they've been battling this for three or four miles. Matthew tells us that the, the waves were, were beating them up. And beaten in the Greek can mean torture or it can mean testing, as in to test the purity of gold or silver. They were being tested by the waves. They were being beaten up by the waves. Right? And I tell you that in Mark, it tells you that the wind was against them, which means that the wind was, we understand that they were rowing into the wind. But in the Greek, that word means contrary or hostile. The wind was hostile. It wasn't, it wasn't favorable to them in any way, shape, or form. That's how rough the storm was. They were in trouble. It was a bad, bad storm for experienced men, even experienced fishermen who knew how to row a boat and how to row it in all kinds of inclimate weather. It was still a bad storm for even experienced men like them. They thought they were going to die. They thought they were doomed, right? We're doomed. That's pretty much probably what they were saying on the boat. There's no hope for us. We're going to drown, right? But then Jesus shows up. But then Jesus shows up. It says here in the Gospel of John, it's an interesting comment to him. It says it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. Did they think Jesus was going to meet them somewhere in the middle of the water? Right? It, was, it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to him. Was he going to take a taxi? A water taxi out to the boat? Right? All right, guys, you know, I've, okay, I went up on the mountain. I had some prayer time. I see you guys haven't made it halfway across the lake yet. So I take a little taxi out to you and catch up. 
I mean, where were they expecting him? Right? But Jesus does show up. He does come to meet them, and he comes walking on the sea. Comes walking on the water. It's very kind of humorous, actually, because if when you look at the Gospel of Mark, it tells you that Jesus meant to pass them by. Think about that one for just a second. It's a ghost. Someone's walking on the water. It's Jesus, right? It's Jesus. And he just comes, hey guys, and he just keeps walking. See you when you get to the other side. It's like, what? Come back. Help us, right? It says that he meant to pass him by, but he didn't, obviously. Right? Anyway, the appearance of someone walking on the water obviously frightened them. They weren't expecting this to see it. In, in, uh, in Matthew and in Mark, again, you can see that it says this, that when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and it said, it is a ghost, right? They cried out in fear. Have you ever wondered if they had ever actually seen a ghost? Obviously, they believed in ghosts. The idea of ghosts is something that, you know, they've been around forever. It's not a new thing, obviously. The idea of a ghost was, was, seemed more, you know, feasible to them than Jesus. Even though all the miracles that they'd seen Jesus perform, feeding of the 5,000, right, healing of the lame, right, raising of the dead, turning water into wine, it seemed to them more feasible that that was a ghost they were seeing out there on the water than it was Jesus. And of course, they were terrified. Right? It tells us in, in Mark chapter 6 that after Jesus got into the boat that, the, that um, they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Right? So you understand their attitude towards the miracles that they had seen. They, they hadn't fully come to this realization of what Jesus can do and who Jesus was. It, it still astounded them. It was beyond their rational idea, their rational thought. And here's the thing about that. The miraculous is so beyond what our mind can accept sometimes that we accept the ridiculous instead. Right? And that's what they did. They accepted the ridiculous. To them, it was easier to accept the fact that it was a ghost walking on the water towards them than it was Jesus. Right? Despite all the miracles they'd seen, it never occurred to them that it was Jesus walking on the water. That was the farthest thing from their mind. No one said, well, wait a minute, what? maybe it's not a ghost, maybe it's Jesus. He had to cry out to them so before they understood. Right? But when you think about it, it's, you know, we probably would have behaved somewhat similarly. Because the idea of someone walking on the water is, you know, I'm just guessing, but I'm pretty sure none of you have done it. All right? So, so the idea of walking on the water is kind of, it's hard for us to, to fathom. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we can't walk on water, right? The lack of surface tension in the water, the buoyancy, the lack of solidity, uh, the lack of friction. I mean, those are just a few reasons why a person can't walk on water. It's a physics issue. I don't want to get into science because I don't know anything about it, but you know. You know, it's, water can't support the weight of a person, and then even if the water could support the weight of a person, shifting your weight from one foot to the other foot as you walk actually causes problems, and it'll break any surface tension that you might have had on the water, and it causes your weight to slip out from underneath you. So you have to make the water more dense. You have to change the viscosity of the water, obviously, for you to be able to walk on water. No one can walk on water unless it's some sort of CGI movie miracle thing, like, you know, whatever they did for however they filmed The Chosen there. 
No one can walk on water. So it's understandable that the disciples freaked out when they saw someone walking on water because no one walks on water. It's just hard to think of. Now, you can possibly run across water if any of you want to try this, right? It's not like skipping across water. If someone wants to try to skip themselves like a rock across water, good luck, have fun, right? You know, we've all skipped rocks across water. But you can possibly run across the water if you're like Usain Bolt, Right, you know the fastest man on earth who has a top speed of 10.4 meters per second, and if you ever, if you want to know what that means in English, that's over 34 feet a second. So he can run really fast. Right, if you're Usain Bolt, guess what? You'll still sink, okay? Because you have to run three times faster than he does to be able to run across water. In case you want to know what that is, you have to run over 100 feet per second. If you can run over 100 feet per second, which is roughly just over 68 miles an hour, if you can run that fast, you could possibly run across the water. So if any of you want to try that, you can test yourself. You can float, obviously, on water. right? You have the Archimedes principle. If the upward buoyant force that is exerted on a body immersed in fluid, whether fully or partially submerged, is equal to the weight of the fluid that the body displaces, then... Supposedly, they tell you you can float. Right. Don't take my word for it. But walk? No. <laughs> right. The only person I know of that's walked on water is Jesus. Well, wait a minute. It's not just Jesus. It's Peter and Jesus. We'll get more into that in just a second. We'll bring Peter back into it. We'll tie that in here in just a second. But Jesus comes to them walking on water, and they th- they're like, no, man, it's a, it's a ghost. They're frightened, but what does Jesus say? He says, it is I, do not be afraid. Literally, in the Greek, he says, ego I me, which means I am. He says, I am. He declares who he is. Right? It is I, I am, do not be afraid. Jesus uses that phrase a lot more than you probably realize. It's not one of the official I am statements in the Gospel of John, but still, he says, I am, do not be afraid. And then when Jesus got into the boat, it tells us, and it says that they were glad to welcome him in, and I bet they were, right? Oh, thank goodness, right? It's Jesus. When Jesus got into the boat, the storm ceased, and the the boat immediately, immediately arrived on the other side of the lake. It's amazing. That's amazing. So I said that within this is is your New Year's message, and it's true. We're given instruction in, in these, just these few verses that we read here this morning. We're given instructions, or you could say we're given reminders on how to navigate a storm. Right? We are. But with that also comes a warning. There's also a warning that, that comes in there as well. Now, if you're on a plane and you're flying somewhere and a storm appears, you know, the, the pilot has choices he has to make about what to do. Now, generally, the pilot knows that storm is coming far before you're aware that that storm is coming because most modern commercial aircraft today have extremely advanced weather radar systems built into the plane, and, uh, which is nice, right, because they get to stay ahead of any storms that might be coming. And they make that choice when they're flying. Are they going to navigate around it? Are they going to, you know, fly up to a higher altitude and go over it? Or are they just going to fly straight through it? Because they do sometimes just determine to fly straight through the storm. 
And planes can handle a lot more than we understand that or realize that they can handle. Planes can take lightning strikes. Planes can take high winds. Planes can take all kinds of things. And the pilot understands what the plane can take. So the pilot makes a decision on whether or not he needs to circum how he needs to circumnavigate the storm. Go over it, go around it, or just fly straight through it. We have to put our faith in the pilot who's flying the plane, that he understands what to do. But the biggest thing that they're trying to avoid isn't the weather necessarily, because to the pilot, that doesn't, he's flown through worse. He probably has lots of experience with it. That doesn't bother the pilot so much as it bothers the passengers, right? It's the passengers who don't like the turbulence because the turbulence causes anxiety. Passengers don't like bumpy rides on planes. Right, so you're on the plane, and what do you get? You get that, you know, buckle up and sit down light that comes on, ding, right? And everyone needs to sit down and get in your seat because the pilot's letting you know, hey, turbulence, possibly coming. You need to be ready. Sit down. <coughs> I'm going to do my best to make it. Not bad, right? Hmm. <coughs> So like I said, these are instructions or reminders for us for navigating a storm. I want, this is what I want to tell you. A storm isn't coming. A storm's already here. Okay? <coughs> the storm has come. The outer edges, you know how storms, right, they have outer edges, they have the main center intense area of the storm, and then they have outer edges of the storm, and I would say that the outer edges of the storm that we're currently in, they hit a few years ago, right? Those edges, they've, they're, they've, they've, they're, <laughs> they're on land, uh, they have not dissipated, <coughs> they're increasing in strength, they're getting worse. Uh, the turbulence is getting a little out of hand. You know this because it's causing anxiety, you know, worldwide. Everyone's, thank you, Jenna. Mm -hmm. It's causing anxiety worldwide. Uh, Matthew 24 refers to them as birth pains. We understand that because <coughs> birth pains increase as labor increases and they get closer to giving birth. <coughs> Matthew 24 says, See that no one leads you astray. This is verse 4 through 8. For many will come in my name, saying that I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of birth pains. Another way you could phrase that, all these are, are the coming of a storm. Right? They're the beginnings of the birth of pains, right? The storms are just the precursor. The little storms are just the precursor to the big storm that's coming. And if you've ever studied storms, you know that big storms cause little storms. So often you'll have all these little storms that have been created by the big storm that's coming, and you have to go through these little storms, and you think, oh, wow, we made it through that. Okay, that wasn't as bad as I thought. And they're like, well, that actually wasn't it yet. It's still, all, it's still coming, right? Right? <coughs> 
I saw a news uh, thing earlier this week. I was watching something, and there had been a storm that went through China, dumped 22 inches of snow on China, and it had been pulled. It was right off the coast of California and Washington, and they're like, "This is, you know, this is shown to be coming up." I don't. It didn't. It didn't hit us, or if it did, it didn't. Obviously, it didn't drop any snow. I was very disappointed. Right? <clears throat> but but you have those type of things. You watch them, right? It just went over here, and it just dumped 22 inches of snow on China. It's coming. Oh, now it's right off the coast here. It's going to come up into California and Washington. All right, we're going to get snow. No, it didn't. It didn't happen. But but you, that's why you have these weather watchers, and they're paying attention to all the storms and where they're going. The storms are just a precursor to what we're going through to the really big storm that's coming, which we would call the tribulation. Right? So I'm not here to give an eschatology class, but guess what? The buckle up sign has been turned on. It should be, if you're paying attention. Right? And a lot of people go through, are going through uh, life today with the, you know, don't hear, don't see, don't talk mentality. And they're hoping their ignorance is going to save them. But it's not. Now, just because the church is not destined for wrath does not mean that the church won't go through the beginnings of birth pains. Right? Obviously. Right? Jesus never promised that you wouldn't go through a storm, that you wouldn't go through tribulations, that you weren't going to have rough times. We're in the storm now. <clears throat> the spirit of the Antichrist is here. It's been here for a while. Most major religions today are preaching a false gospel. The Catholic Church is leading the pack right, with its heretical teachings. Right? Deception's at an all-time high. The spirit of lawlessness is here. Right? Lawlessness is increasing just as we have been told by God's word it would. Right? Sin is lawlessness, as it tells us in 1 John 3. Sin is rampant today and more and more acceptable, being written into legislation, being made into law. Right? Seattle. What did Seattle announce earlier, not too long ago, within the last few weeks? Seattle announced that they recorded the highest amount of homicides in the last 44 years. Right? And there's a lot of reasons for that. Right? But that's what happens when you neuter your police department. And you allow rampant crime and drug use on the streets and they do absolutely nothing to address the issue of mental illness and homelessness in the city. <clears throat> we have more illegals in our country now. In the last year, we have let in more illegals than seven, the population of 17 of our states combined. And they're not immigrants, they're illegals. There's a difference. Because my family immigrated, okay, into America. <coughs> I have the paperwork, right? We can see it. These people have not immigrated. They have not gone through the proper channel. They've been given maps on exactly how to come up through Mexico for the most part, come into states like Arizona and Texas. They've been showed exactly where they need to go, where the entry points are. They've been given money and phones and free health care. And when they come into the United States, they're put on a plane. Spirit Airlines is one of the biggest airlines that's uh, taxiing all the illegals across the country. They've done over, they've taken and, and flown over a million illegals over to states across the United States. And, uh, and they're just, they're being purposefully brought in. Purposefully brought in for a reason. We, we call it destabilization. It's a destabilization of the country. It's the destruction of the United States. That's what their, their purpose is. 
and you don't want to hear it, regardless, our government is behind it. They're doing it purposefully. Okay? So the storm is here. And it doesn't matter what side of the party line you're on because both sides are involved. Okay? The storm is here. We are in the last days of the last days. And because we have the word of God, we know what season we're in. We don't know the day or the hour of the rapture. We don't know the day or the hour of Christ's return in that sense. But if you are paying attention to God's word, then all of this should be clear to you. I should be telling you nothing new. You should, be know, you should know exactly the times and the signs of which we live in. But some people still want to live in the ignorance of the word. Listen, Jesus is coming for his church. That, that's the truth. Jesus is coming for his church any day now. And for us as Christians, what do we need to do? We need to occupy till he comes. We need to occupy till he comes, which means we have work to do as Christians. We need right, not be ignorant of the times that we live in. We need to be pointing people to Jesus because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And the only hope that you have is in Christ Jesus. And everyone is anxious because why? Because the storm is here and they're feeling the turbulence. And they don't have a pilot they trust in, but we do. Right? And here's the issue. Storms wreak havoc. Right? Storms cause anxiety, as we talked about. In the midst of storms, what happened? If people have a relationship with God, people can easily lose sight of God in the midst of storms. Right? And they start sinking, just like we saw with Peter. Right? And they lose hope. This is what happened right, to Peter. It tells us that in Matthew that when he saw Jesus, he said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. Right? Can you, I mean, what a brave statement to make. Lord, if this is really you, tell me to get out of the boat, and I'm going to get out of the boat. And of course, what did Jesus say? He said, oh, okay, come out of the boat, Peter. Right? You can almost hear him chuckle when he says, all right, let's see you do this. Right? Get out of the boat, Peter. So what did Peter do? He steps out of the boat. Think about this. Process for a second. For a brief moment of time, Peter took his eyes off the winds, took his eyes off the waves, put down his oar. He quit battling the storm. He stepped out of the broken boat and he walked on water towards Jesus. Now I'm pretty sure, this is my own personal belief, that when Peter stepped out of the boat, his, his reaction wasn't this. He didn't step onto the water and go, well, dude, Right? Look back at the disciples and be like, grab a picture. Right? Look at what I'm doing. I'm going to get a selfie of me with Jesus. Right? I'm pretty sure he wasn't cocky, right, when he stepped out onto the water. I think kind of what you saw, he was kind of tentative. He was like, I don't know. Okay, I'm walking on water. I think that he was completely fixed on Jesus at that moment. Right? He was completely fixed. He experienced something that no one else on this side of glory has ever experienced, right? The miraculous in that sense. He got out of that boat and he was completely fixed on Jesus, right? In the midst of a ferocious storm, his eyes were fixed on his Savior and he walked through that storm straight to Jesus. I don't think it, Peter deliberately took his eyes off Jesus. I think it was just the storm 
You have to understand, the one thing that the disciples feared, it tells us in Matthew, Mark, and in John, when we go through the storm here, that they were greatly afraid. Why were they greatly afraid? Because the winds were beating them up, and the waves were beating them up, and, the, and it was, you know, they were you know, struggling against the winds, all these things. The, the storm, they thought that the boat was going to capsize, they thought they were going to drown. They were fearful of the storm itself. Right? That's where their fear came from, was the storm. As he's walking towards Jesus, and the wind is blowing, and the waves are going, he doesn't focus on them at all. For that brief moment of time, he had managed to put all that stuff aside and was just focused at Jesus, and he's just walking to Jesus when what happens? A wave goes right in front of him. And in that time, he lost sight of Jesus. And that's all it took. That's all it took. The storm rose so great at that moment that he lost sight of Jesus. He didn't deliberately take his eyes off Jesus. The storm just got so great he lost sight of him. Right? Until his vision was obscured by the storm itself. Until the winds and the high waves cut off his view of Jesus, his eyes were fixed on him. But once that happened, right? it says in Matthew, I believe, it says when Peter saw the wind. In other words, when C Peter saw the storm, when he saw the waves, the thing that he feared, when his fears became present again, for that brief moment of time, he was afraid and he began to sink. And that's how the storms, that's how storms affect us, right? It's not that we purposely took our eyes off Jesus, the waves just blocked our vision for a second. And in that second, we started sinking. That's the warning. That's what storms do. But our hope is found in this. Okay? This is how we navigate a storm. Here is your reminder for the new year. Here is your guide for navigating a storm as told through John chapter 6. First thing you need to know, as we learn through Matthew and Mark, is that Jesus sent you. You probably didn't want to hear that one. But that's the first thing you need to know. Not only does Jesus anticipate storms, in other words, he knows they're coming far before you do, <laughs> right? right? He's got that great weather advanced radar system. He knows when the storms are coming long before you know when the storms are coming. And he's determining just like a pilot in the plane on how he's going to put you through that storm. Am I, am I going to navigate you around that one? Or am I going to send you straight through that one? Jesus anticipates the storms, but not only that, he engineers the storms as well. Oh, we don't want to hear that one either, right? When Jesus put his disciples in the boat, it was to rescue them from one storm, yet he put them in the way of another storm. It was not an accident. He didn't send them out there on the lake. Okay, whew, I rescued them from the crowds. Turn around and go, oh, nuts right? <laughs> There's a big storm coming. I should have looked first before, before I put them in the boat. They're going to have a tough time with that one. Oh, well, I'm going to go off and pray for them. It wasn't an accident. I've heard it put this way. The feeding of the 5,000, think of it as a class, a, a school. The feeding of the 5,000 was the lesson. The storm was the surprise exam after the lesson, right? I taught you the lesson. Now let's see what you actually learned. They're thinking, thank you, Jesus. 
He directs you into the storms for a purpose. Jesus lets you go through a storm for a purpose. And one of the reasons is this. When your life is exposed to a storm, what you actually believe in will be uncovered. Understand? So what is your faith built on? Right? Is it built on Jesus and his word? Is that what's going to be uncovered when you hit that storm? I'm immovable because I'm on the rock. Storms like this, they don't bother me. I got Jesus. Are we, are we going to find that, that your faith's been built on some straw and stick theology right? that has no roots in the truth of God's word? And when that storm hits, it just shreds it apart. That's what a storm will test. That's what a storm may be testing now. And if not now, soon, it's almost a guarantee. But also with that is the promise. And here is the promise that's with that. It's sort of unsaid, but it's implied. When Jesus put them in the boat and sent them off into the lake, it's implied by the fact that they were waiting for Jesus to meet up with them, and they're kind of surprised they hadn't seen him yet, even though they hadn't even gotten across the lake because they were stuck in the storm, that they were going to see Jesus again. That's what's implied. They're going to meet up with Jesus again. You guys head across, I'll catch up with you. That's what's implied. That's the promise. The promise is that he will see you again. That's the promise. Right? John 14. We're not there yet. Fast forward. Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that that you will be where I am. That's his promise. So Jesus sends you into the storm, but he promises he's going to meet you again on the other side. He's going to see you again. You're not, you're not without Jesus. If Jesus says, go to the other side of the lake, I'll meet you there, then when you get to the other side of the lake, Jesus is going to meet you there because he's faithful. That's a promise. Jesus keeps his word. Right? So Jesus sends you in the storms. He knows what storms are coming. He even engineers storms. And it's all for your faith. What's your faith built on? But the other thing that he does is that while you're in the storm, Jesus keeps an eye on you. That's the second thing we find out about this. For navigating the storm, understand this, that Jesus keeps an eye on you. We find this out again, Matthew 14 and Mark 6. As they went across the sea, as they struggled with the storm, Jesus watched them. He saw their struggle. He saw the battle. He was keenly aware of the adversity that they were facing in the middle of the lake. He knew exactly what was going on. Mark 6.48 says that he, Jesus, saw that they were making headway painfully, that the wind was against them. You should find comfort in knowing that Jesus sees your struggles and that he's praying for you. What does he tell Peter? Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. When, right, and I'm going to pray for you so that when you're done, when you've gotten through it, when you're on the other side, you can use that to encourage other people. We, well, all we hear is, sift you like wheat. And we kind of stop right there. We don't hear the part that Jesus says, I'm praying for you. 
We should find comfort in knowing that Jesus sees your struggles and is praying for you. Psalm 34, 15 tells us that the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are towards their cry. Listen, we can take our eyes off the miraculous and we can focus on the ridiculous or on the practical or on the science or whatever we want to focus on instead of God's word. You can lose sight of Jesus in the midst of the storm, but understand this, Jesus has never lost sight of you. Not once. (coughs) But not just that. There's one more thing. Jesus met them in the midst of the storm. Jesus met them in the midst of the storm, right? This isn't an original quote. I didn't make this up. Don't give me credit for it. You may have heard it before. It says, when we think that he is nowhere, he is now here, right? Notice this. Understand this picture. The very thing that petrified, terrified, and was scaring the disciples silly, the storm that they were battling, made them think that they were going to capsize and drown the waves and the wind and the storm. That very thing, Jesus came walking on and came walking through as if it was no big deal. The very thing that terrified them and made them fearful, Jesus walked right on through it as if it was no big deal and came to them right in the middle of it, right? He came through that storm like it was nothing. And when he arrived, it was over. The storm ceased. They were immediately on the other side of the shore, right? Unharmed, safe with Jesus. What does that remind you of? Does it remind you of anything? Reminds me of a promise. Reminds me of the rapture. That's what it reminds me of. That's not what's being taught here. I'm just telling you what it reminds me of. Because Jesus says, hey, listen, you're going to go through some tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world, right? Take heart, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to come take you back to where I am. Yes, there are going to be storms. You're going to go through the storms. It's going to be terrible. It's going to test you. It's going to beat you up silly. It's going to be crazy. You're going to be straining and straining some days, and you're never going to get anywhere, and you think you're going to drown. You think it's over. Right? When the storms start raging and the storms are increasing and they're throwing you back and forth and it's getting overwhelming, just when the waves are getting higher and the labor pains are increasing, because trust me, they are picking up and they are increasing, and we're just starting to feel the impact and the effect of that on our lives right now in the United States. This next year is going to be a year like I don't think we have ever experienced. I'm not sure, as a country, we're going to make it to election. I'm not sure what's going to happen. There's so many things in play right now, so many storms coming, that I don't know what's going to happen to to our country. Now, we know from the Bible that when it comes to, like, Ezekiel 38, for example, and, and, you know, the Gog and Magog war, that the United States isn't even, even, even there. And today, we're, like, the world power, but then we're nothing. Something happens obviously. The average lifetime of of a nation is 250 some odd years, and we're near our expiration date. I hate to say it, but, you know, things that, you know, 
we need to be aware of. But ultimately what we need to be aware of is when these things are going on, when the waves are getting higher, when those labor pains are increasing to the point of an impending birth. And we know the birth is coming and we don't want to be here for it. Guess what? Praise the Lord, right? You think you're going to drown, but before the wrath comes, before the big bad storm hits, Jesus is going to show up. And when Jesus shows up in the midst of that storm, when he walks through all those troubles, like they are nothing, he's just, you know, dusting them off his shoulder as he comes walking through it. <clears throat> as soon as he's with you, you're, right? When you get caught up and you meet him in the clouds, then guess what? The storms are going to cease immediately and for eternity. And you'll be with Jesus. And all you'll be able to say at that moment is just like what we sang, right? Which is, it is well with my soul. That's the message for you for going into the new year. Jesus puts you through storms for a reason. While you're in the storm, he's keeping an eye on you. But ultimately, he's going to meet you in the midst of it. And when he does, the storm will be over. There will be no more storm. You'll be safe with Jesus. We have a pilot who knows what he's doing, right? If you want to use that analogy. He knows how to navigate storms, and we just have to keep our faith in him. Yes, storms can, can knock us off our feet. We can lose sight of Jesus in the moment that those waves get so high that we can't see him. But we just got to keep our eyes on him. And even when we get knocked down, pick back up and find him again and just keep going because he is with you he's got his eye on you and he's going to see you through it and those storms are going to cease you are going to be we are going to be with jesus that is where our hope is found that's what we need to know that's what we need to be reminded of let's close with this psalm chapter 27 and uh, i didn't bookmark it so hang on just a second Psalm chapter 27. <clears throat> I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. This is the Psalm of David. And as you know, David chased around and Saul wanted to kill him and all kinds of things went on with David's life for him to write psalms like this. The title of this psalm, according to my Bible, is The Lord is my light and my salvation. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that we take this to heart, that we just, Lord, surrender our lives to you for this new year. 
so we can just keep our eyes on you and everything that's going on with all the craziness of the world, which is just going to be getting crazier. We have to keep our focus on Jesus. And yes, the storms are going to be raging, but you are with us in the midst of them. And we know you're faithful. And we know that you will fulfill your promise. We know that we will be with you. So we just thank you, Lord, for this. And we pray, Lord, that we can continue to be a light in the darkness and point people to the hope that's found in Christ Jesus. Every day, Lord, I pray that we can do this. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.